afternoon, everyone. In the United States and other Western nations, we live in an age of uh, an age characterized by great abundance on the one hand and on the other, an increasing lack of a sense of personal responsibility on the part of a large segment of the population. The government in the United States and other countries as well, but in particular here, it's through its social engineering has managed to make vast numbers of people wards of the state who in many cases could manage for themselves if required to do so. However, governments in the United States and other countries have made promises that they cannot possibly keep. Trade and monetary po policy in the United States for many years has encouraged a borrow and spend mentality instead of a more balanced and responsible economic policy based on productivity and investing. The government itself has established a pattern of massive deficit spending, which continues to spiral into more and more massive numbers and loads of debt. Because of irresponsible government, social, fiscal, and monetary policy, the government and the country are on a course headed for bankruptcy. On June 7, 2021, Deutsche Bank issued a report titled, quote, Inflation, the Defining Macro Story of This Decade, end quote, as reported on the news website, thehill.com, on June 10, 2021. According to the report, quote, U.S. macro policy and indeed the very role of government in the economy is undergoing its biggest shift in direction in 40 years. In turn, we are concerned that it will bring about uncomfortable levels of inflation, end quote. And the article goes on to say that it could be deemed an understatement considering that the U.S. economy is already experiencing uncomfortable inflation. Congress has supercharged spending levels unseen since World War II. As Deutsche Bank notes, quote, the current fiscal stimulus is more comparable with that seen around World War II. Then, U.S. deficits remain between 15 to 30 percent for four years. That was during World War II. Going on, it says, while there are many significant differences between the pandemic and World War II, we would note that annual inflation was 8.4 percent, 14.6 percent, and 7.7 percent in 1946, 1947, and 1948, after the economy normalized and pent-up demand was released. If the U.S. economy, that, that's the end of the quote from Deutsche Bank, the article on the, in the Hill goes on to state, if the U.S. economy descends into an inflation spiral like that experienced after World War II, we could be on the brink of excruciating economic pain. However, the profligate spending by Congress is only part of the problem. According to Deutsche Bank, again, quoting, it says, monetary stimulus has been equally breathtaking in numerical terms. The Fed's balance sheet has almost doubled during the pandem pandemic to nearly $8 trillion dollars. That compares with the 2008 crisis when it only increased by a little more than $1 trillion. 
and then increased another two trillion in the su subsequent six years. As any economist will tell you, printing gobs of money over a short pro uh, period, which is what the Federal Reserve has done during the pandemic, is a key inflation ingredient. As we've seen this happen many times over the past century, from Weimar Germany to present-day Venezuela, massive money printing never works and always spurs out-of-control inflation. The Deutsche Bank report concludes with this dire warning, quote, we worry that inflation will make a comeback. Few still remember how our societies and economies were threatened by high inflation 50 years ago. The most basic laws of economics, the ones that have stood the test of time for over a millennium, have not been suspended. An explosive growth in debt financed largely by central banks is likely to lead to higher inflation. Rising prices will touch everyone. The effects could be devastating, particularly for the most vulnerable in society. Sadly, when central banks do act at this stage, they will be forced into abrupt policy change, which will only make it harder for policymakers to achieve the social goals that our societies need. End quote from the Deutsche Bank. The Hill article goes on to state, as mentioned above, the German people are well aware that skyrocketing inflation in and of itself can spark more than just economic upheaval. Hyperinflation like that experienced in World War and post-World War I, Germany, can also lead to social disorder and political chaos. In fact, one of the reasons Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party came to power in Weimar, Germany, was the public's resentment concerning the hyperinflation they suffered as a result of endless money printing by Germany's central bank in the 1920s to pay off World War I reparations. Of course, the rise of Hitler was not solely due to hyperinflation in Weimar, Germany, but when out-of-control inflation takes hold, people reasonably panic. Throughout history, we've seen inflation-spurred panic manifest in social, political, and economic turmoil. The looming question is how Americans will deal with the strong possibility of a post-pandemic inflation environment, the likes of which could be unprecedented in our nation's history. And the article title from thehill.com, June 10th, 2021, is Deutsche Bank Issues Dire Economic Warning for America. Our prosperity, the abundance which we've come to take for granted, is in peril. The threat of out-of-control out inflation is only one warning sign of disasters looming on the horizon. And the cause comes down to a lack of a proper sense of responsibility on the part of both the leaders and many of the citizens of our country. In today's sermon, I want to talk about some areas of personal responsibility that we need to be concerned with as Christians. And these have to do with devotion to God, personal morality, work, giving, and gratitude. First of all, let's talk about devotion to God. God is the source of life and the giver of every blessing. He is all-wise and all-knowing. He created us for the purpose of becoming holy as he is holy. 
and entering into his family as sons sharing his divine nature. As his creation, his sons, his heirs, he requires of us devotion to him above everything and everyone else, including ourselves. We read in Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 37, Matthew 10 and verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The first commandment. As we read from Matthew 22, verse 38, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So how committed are you then to devoting your time, your thoughts, the intents of your heart, your very being to God? Is God just an afterthought in your life? Is God someone you give little thought to except when you need something or when there's a disaster to blame someone for? Do you really seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as we're instructed in Matthew 6 and verse 33? Through the death of Jesus Christ, God demonstrated his devotion to us and our salvation. As, as Paul wrote in Romans 5 verse 8, Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God then expects that we should live our lives in devotion to him. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 15, he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He died for all that those who should uh, li those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in other words, we are to live our lives for God, for Jesus Christ, first and foremost. So, I want to encourage you to really put God first in your life ahead of your own thoughts, desires, or other people. Don't let your carnal desires, your friendship with the world, or pressure from other people come between you and God. Commune with God every day. Study the Bible every day. A good rule of thumb is to aim for an average of at least a half hour of Bible study daily. And some days you may want to spend more time in Bible study, perhaps some days less, but resolve to spend at least some amount of time studying the Bible every day. And it would be a good idea to aim to average no less than a half an hour a day. And the same with prayer. Resolve to get to know God ever more intimately and put your trust in God, put God first in your life and serve Him. Secondly, let's discuss personal morality. In our nation today and in the Western world in general, personal morality is sunk to an abyss of destructive behaviors, including widespread use of illicit drugs, lying, stealing, adultery, fornication, 
homosexuality and other transgressions. Currently, approximately 40% of children born in the United States are born out of wedlock. In many of our cities, the illegitimacy rate is well over 50%, and in some cases approaches uh, more like three-quarters of the children being born, born out of wedlock. Every year in the United States, over a million babies are aborted. In most cases, the reason for abortion has nothing whatsoever to do with the mother's health, which is a reason often falsely given for abortion, but rather it has to do with the fact that either, either the mother or the father of the baby do not want to be burdened with its care. Divorce rates in countries descended primarily from Israelite forebears are among the highest in the world. In the United States, it's about 50% of marriages that end in divorce, and of course many people don't even bother to get married. These are symptoms of an abandonment, an abandonment of any serious sense of responsibility in terms of personal morality on the part of vast segments of our population. The commandments and admonitions of God's word regarding personal morality and our nations are largely ignored and even ridiculed and scoffed at, even among many, if not most, professing Christians. HIV, or AIDS, is one of the world's most fatal infectious diseases. Well over a million Americans have been infected with the AIDS virus since the disease was discovered in 1981. As of 2018, more than one million living Americans were infected with AIDS during that year, and there were 38,500 new infections. More than half a million Americans have died after developing AIDS. Nearly a million people die each year from AIDS worldwide. In some countries, particularly across sub-Saharan Africa, AIDS is the leading cause of death. About 90% of AIDS cases in the United States among males result from homosexual activity or illegal drug use or both. These are statistics from uh, several different uh, sources, including uh, an organization called avert.org, Centers for Disease Control, and ourworldanddata.org. And millions of people being afflicted with and dying from AIDS and other venereal diseases is a tragedy but it is an avoidable tragedy because contracting any venereal disease is almost entirely preventable. Simple obedience to God's laws would prevent many diseases, not only venereal diseases, but many other diseases as well. Sexual licentiousness and infidelity are among major reasons we are headed for a calamitous fall as a nation. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah 5 verse 7, God says through the prophet, How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, 
Then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. They were like well-fed lusty stallions, every one neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? The Bible commands us to flee sexual immorality and other lusts. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, we read, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Paul instructed Timothy, and this admonition also is directed to us, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. God holds us accountable if we reject his code of conduct and punishment awaits those who reject God's laws. On the other hand, wonderful blessings will accrue to those who keep God's laws as we read in Isaiah chapter 48, beginning with verse 17. Isaiah 48, verse 17, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand, his name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, free from the Cal- flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing. Declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob, and they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He split the rock and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So God tells us to flee from the Babylonian system of this world and also elsewhere the Bible warns us that there is a severe punishment to come for those nations who persist in rejecting and rebelling against his laws. God is going to punish a wicked world so that Eventually, he can bring the nations to repentance and bless them. In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, we read, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, the uh, term reviler could be translated an abusive person, speaking of people who are abusive and oppressive and violent. Going on, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, People who have committed all sorts of sins, lived in all sorts of unrighteous situations, rebellious conduct, can repent. Many have repented. At least some have repented down through the ages. 
and it is possible for people to change and repent. As Paul wrote here, he was writing to people who had practiced these sins. And he said, you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So we can change, we can repent from those things that are not pleasing to God if we're practicing them. In Proverbs 14, verse 34, Proverbs 14, verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. As Christians, we must make it a personal imperative to strive to live up to God's standards of moral conduct. In Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1, Colossians 3 and verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Our own personal well-being and that of our families and ultimately the entire society depends on maintaining godly standards of moral conduct. So as individuals, we only have control over our own conduct but let's make sure that we are striving to maintain a godly standard of personal morality. The next item I want to discuss in terms of personal responsibility is work. One of the names of God is El Shaddai, which means Almighty God. El, translated God, means Mighty One or Almighty. Shaddai, translated Almighty, means All-Sufficient. And this name, one of many names that apply to God, puts the emphasis on God's power to supply all the needs of his people, as it says in the companion Bible, of this name for God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. It puts emphasis on the power of God to supply all the needs of his people. Now, God supplies our needs but he also requires us to work 
responsibly to meet our needs and also to be provided whatever additional blessings we may receive. There are many people who simply refuse to work and do not want to bear their share of the responsibility to provide even for themselves. God gives the increase, but humans have to till the ground, plant the seed, water the crop. If needed, prune it and weed it and harvest it. You're not going to have a crop of corn or soybeans or or wheat or anything else if you don't do the work necessary to have that crop produced. Now, of course, there are many uh, plants that grow themselves, more or less, without being cultivated. But by and large, human beings depend on agriculture and uh, the produce produced through agricultural productivity to have food to eat. And in general, each one will be rewarded according to his labor. And that principle applies both spiritually and physically. We read in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6 says, Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, it says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this doesn't apply just to farming, but it applies to any endeavor, any type of activity that involves effort. Anyone and everyone has a responsibility to do his share in providing for himself, for his family, and to have something to give to others. As we read in Ephesians 4 and verse 28, Ephesians 4 and verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So, as Christians, we are commanded, we are instructed that we are to labor, to work with our hands what is good, and to do our share. Now, there are situations and circumstances of course, where gainful employment can be very difficult or seemingly impossible to find. That's not the case right now in this economy in the United States because everywhere practically you go, you see help wanted signs. Uh, Businesses are crying for help, advertising on billboards and on various other media and hanging signs in their storefront windows and so forth. Almost, you can hardly go into a business anymore at the present time without seeing a help wanted sign of some kind. But in other situations, it may not be so easy to find gainful employment. And when we find ourselves in such circumstances, we need to seek God's help and ask for His intervention as we do everything we can for our part to find and take advantage of any opportunities that may exist. I've been experienced at times in my own life when I was unemployed and looking for work and found it difficult to find work, taking whatever I could 
do, even in the way of temporary jobs, until I found something more permanent. But we need to uh, do what we can to find employment and find a way to meet our needs and the needs of our families or others that we might be responsible for. And very few people go through life without enduring hardship and various trials. But ultimately, those who persist in walking in the path of righteousness will be blessed. They may not be blessed immediately. They may not even be blessed particularly in this lifetime to any great extent, but they will be blessed. And I've seen and experienced during my lifetime many people in the church whose lives have been significantly improved over a period of time as they've walked the path of God's laws, seeking to please God and obey Him. In Psalm 37, Psalm 37, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice, and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. So ultimately, obedience and faithfulness toward God brings positive benefits. All too often, children in our modern culture growing up not being taught personal responsibility nor the value of work. Children can be taught the value of work by being given chores to perform around the house, perhaps mowing the lawn, helping to clean, carry out the trash, look after the garden, help with the cooking or other chores. They can be taught to pick up after themselves and keep their rooms in order. And there are other ways that children can be taught personal responsibility. Certainly children should have ample time for play and recreation, but they should also be taught a work ethic and personal responsibility in work as well as in other areas of life. Just until the last couple of generations, the majority of Americans lived in rural settings on farms, and it was almost automatic that in that kind of environment, children would be taught from an early age the value of work, and they would have to contribute to the family enterprise, so to speak. Today, that's not the case in our urbanized society nearly to the same extent, but we can, as parents, as fathers and mothers, we can set an example of personal responsibility and we can teach it to our children in a loving and balanced way. We're instructed in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The next area of personal responsibility I want to discuss briefly is giving. Giving, part of the reason God requires us to work, as we just read, is so that we may have something to give to others. And as we read in 
Ephesians 4 and verse 28 says, Let him as though steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Too many in our society have developed an entitlement mentality where they demand to be given to instead of God's mind, which is focused on outgoing love, on the way of concern for and giving to others. The fact is, God owes us nothing, but he gives us everything that's good. As we read in James 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. God is a giver. And for us to be like God, we must become givers as well. We ought to look for ways to give to others and to serve them. In so doing, we should exercise wisdom and discretion so that our giving is actually positive and edifying and not destructive in its long-term effect. God gives to us liberally, but he also requires responsibility on our part for the gifts that we are given. We read in Proverbs 22 and verse 16, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Why would someone give to the rich? Well, usually it's because he is seeking favors in return. Unfortunately, this is how our political system works much of the time. Lip service is often paid to giving to the poor, but gifts are given far more generously quite often to those who are powerful and wealthy to buy influence. Our giving should not be to give to the rich to buy influence, but should be given with pure motives, given according to the need and not according to what we think we will gain from the giving. Jesus said, in Luke 6, verse 30, 34, Luke 6, beginning in verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. And we're also told that we're not to be stingy, but liberal in our giving. In Proverbs 11, beginning with verse 24, Proverbs 11, verse 24, there is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Jesus said in Luke 6 and verse 38, Luke 6 and verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So note that while we should not give with selfish motives, God nevertheless assures us that if we are generous in our giving, he in turn, the great giver, will give to us generously. 
The churches of Macedonia during the first century were praised because of their liberality in giving even though they themselves were in poverty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, Therefore, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, and yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Paul assured the Corinthians that their generosity to those less fortunate would not go unnoticed or unrewarded by God. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you have always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now some of us may have little or nothing to give in the way of material things, but each of us can find a way to give to others even if one's own circumstances allow only for giving to others by praying for them. We read in 1 Timothy 5, verse 5. 1 Timothy 5, verse 5. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So we can all find some way to give to others, to express our concern for others in a tangible way. And we have that responsibility to do that. Now I want to discuss the responsibility we have to display and express gratitude or thanksgiving. Ingratitude, unthankfulness is one of the sins of our age listed in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 beginning with verse 1, Know this, that in the last days, that's the time that we live in the, toward the end of this age, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. A lack of gratitude and thankfulness for the kindness and generosity of God and other people has always been a mark of human nature, unfortunately. We read in Luke 17, 
beginning in verse 12, Luke 17, verse 12, as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers and who stood afar off and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God and fell down on his voice or fell down on his feet, on his face, excuse me, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, we're not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not found any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way, for your faith has made you whole. So, out of the ten who were healed in this instance, only one thought to express thanksgiving to the one who had healed him. So we might ask ourselves, are we careful to express thankfulness daily for everything that God gives us? Colossians 2 and verse 6, Colossians 2 and verse 6, it says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Abounding in the faith with thanksgiving. Colossians 3 and verse 15. Colossians 3 and verse 15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Our prayers ought to be liberally laced with large doses of thanksgiving to God. We read in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so we are not to be overly anxious or worried which is what the Greek word means. It's translated anxious here in this verse. We need to go to God with our concerns and lay our burdens on him and make our requests known to God in prayer. But also along with that, we need to be careful to make sure that we thank God for all the blessings that he gives us. We, there's no one who lives in this country in particular who has not been blessed abundantly and in an extraordinary way, especially in this particular age. Also, don't forget to express gratitude to others who show you kindness and generosity. Children need to learn to express gratitude to their parents for being their parents, for bringing them into the world, and for all the myriad other things that they do for them, for providing for them, for loving them in countless ways. And parents can find ways to express gratitude to their children as well. We ought to learn to express thanks to each other, whatever our station in life might be. 
do you thank people who routinely interact with you for service that they provide? Husbands, do you thank, thank your wives for the work that they do to help you to make your life more comfortable? Wives, do you thank your husbands for what they do that contributes to your welfare? What about when you're on the receiving end of a gift? Do you make it a point to send a thank you note to those who've shown generosity in giving to you or expressing gratitude in some other appropriate way? God does not give to us so that he can receive our gratitude. In fact, God is kind even to the unthankful, and so we should be as well. As Jesus said in Luke 6, beginning in verse 35, Luke 6, verse 35, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. On the other hand, let's make sure that we're not guilty of the sin of ingratitude and that we are responsible in meeting God's standards of thanksgiving. The world would be much better off if each person exercised a high standard of personal responsibility. There's going to be a new age soon in which that will be done. Let's set the stage now by making sure that we're personal re personally responsible in a godly way.